This is Austin Roof, and we're going to be live right now with Kelly Shabaka. She was the former commissioner of the Department of Administration for the State of Alaska, and she is currently running for the position of senator representing the state of Alaska up over in Washington, D.C. She'll be running in the seat currently held by Lisa Murkowski, and she's live on the air right now to talk about her platform and what she's running for. And, Kelly, just really appreciate your time uh, joining us here on KSCP, and welcome to, uh, welcome to our region. It's great to be with you, Austin. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So the election, of course, coming up here pretty soon, and you are running for the seat currently held by uh, Lisa Murkowski. Can you just go ahead and introduce yourself and share a little bit of why you're running for Senate? Sure. So our election is just one year away. It feels like it's coming up so quickly. Um, About five decades ago, my parents moved up here looking for more opportunity. They had a great plan, but life doesn't go according to plans. And they fell in some hard times and were actually homeless for a while. But my mom was able to land a job up on the slope, working that two-week-on, two-week-off shift that so many Alaskans benefit from. And it was because of that job that they were able to work their way into working-class Alaska, get a little fixer-upper, starter home. That was my first home. And give me a totally great Alaska childhood, you know, fishing and hunting. My dad got a plane, so we flew out to rural Alaska a lot in the weekends. I played ice hockey, and I ended up being the first in our family to pursue a college degree. Starting at the University of Alaska, I transferred to Texas A&M. I interned for Senator Ted Stevens, and he says, hey, you should go to law school. That sounded like a great idea. It turned out to be a really rough experience. But I met my husband there. After law school, we end up getting jobs in Washington, D.C. My husband got a law firm job, which helped pay off school loans. And I got a job in offices that we would think of as like the anti-swamp. There are these offices in federal agencies that expose waste, fraud, and abuse and hold insiders accountable. And I loved it. I had some incredible experiences making government better. And I did that for many years, had the opportunity to come home, and do that for state government here in the state of Alaska as well. And on the side, my husband has a business. We've started a faith-based organization that develops leaders, and we have five kids. Back in January, I'm watching television, and I'm finding myself screaming at the television a lot. In particular, Senator Murkowski is making some decisions and votes that really hurt Alaskans. And I just realized, you know what, when you listen to my story, We're not a family that just pulled ourselves up from our bootstraps. We're an Alaska-made family. It was an Alaskan opportunity in the oil industry that changed our story. And it's Alaskans who came around us that changed our life. And Senator Murkowski made some decisions and votes that cost us billions of dollars back at the beginning of this year. And I just got really upset thinking about all the Alaskans who lost their jobs, people like my parents who weren't going to have the opportunities that my parents had. And I decided, you know what, I want to jump in and I want to fight for the Alaskans who fought for me. And that's why I jumped in the race. Wonderful. Uh, so, awesome story about Alaska. I think so many people can relate to that experience. You're coming here to the Aleutians East Borough, and I think, are you in our region right now? Yes, I've been in King Cove uh, yesterday and today, and apparently all the locals are telling us, we better get over to Sandpoint ASAP because there's a big storm coming. 
Yeah, you're 100% correct on that. You're going to experience a huge windstorm and apparently quite a bit of snow. So, um, yeah, I would recommend getting out here as soon as possible. The King Cove is a very difficult place. And as you probably experience or maybe you'll get to experience it, why the King Cove Road is such an important uh, thing. And exactly. what's your thoughts about that? What, what would you like to tell the people in our region? The King Cove Road is obviously a huge topic. And do you have any opinions about this one? Well, absolutely. So the King Cove Road actually matters to all of Alaska. I think it's one thing to know it as a policy issue, read about it, know the state of play, uh, know that we've been working on it for decades and what's happened in court, what's happened with the Trump administration, what's happened with Secretary Jewell, what's happening with Secretary Holland, who was the deciding vote came from Lisa Murkowski to push her through. And I don't think she has any interest in supporting King Cove Road. It's another thing, though, to be here and to hear the stories personally. There's policies and then there's personal. And when you hear the stories and you know the families and you know the people, you carry those stories in your heart. And I would always knew we we're going to advocate for King Cove Road when I'm in the Senate. It's different when you carry the stories in your heart because you know why you're advocating for it. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to come here and see it for myself, to hear it from the people here on the ground, to see it for myself and understand personally why it is so critical and essential. There's one thing to know policy. It's another thing to know it personally. And another thing that I think is important to know, we have environmental radical groups that are funding Senator Murkowski to stay in her Senate seat. I will not take a dollar from an environmental radical group that sets itself up to make money off of opposing the King Cove Road. You're making money off the lives and the health of the people who live in King Cove. That's not okay by me. We need to always prioritize Alaskans over the money that would come in funding a Senate seat or the money that environmental radicalist groups are making at the expense of the people in this state. That's what I'm learning while I'm here in King Cove. And as you've heard, you know, it has been such a tremendous battle. And, you know, over the course of President Trump's uh, tenure as president and then, you know, Ted Stevens, even Lisa Murkowski, there's been a push for decades and, what you would imagine would be an awesome opportunity with quite a few leaders, especially uh, Trump was very supportive of it, but still has not been able to get through. What do you think you might bring to the table that could help that? So there's a couple different efforts, I think, that could potentially be successful. I don't want to make any illusions or promises that, you know, I'm a different candidate, so I'm going to walk in and this is going to be so easy, we'll get it done. I think to say that is to show naivety at how complex this issue is and how challenging it is to get things done in a highly politicized environment. But this is something that we can do. We know that the decision about King Cove Road is being made by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in the lower 48 who have different ideas about it, are getting wrong information about it. And that is coming from strong special interest groups who really don't have much of an interest at all in Alaska, if we're gonna talk straight, And we're not really mobilized as Alaskans. I mean, King Cove doesn't have the resources to put out a counter message. One of the things we can do with a U.S. Senate seat is something that some of the other people on Capitol Hill are doing, and that is to invest in a really effective communication shop. We could run a communication shop out of our Senate office that advertises correctly what's happening with King Cove Road, What's happening, for example, with Anwar development, it does not look like the Brooks Range with Texas oil rigs, which is something that these environmental groups tell all the lower 48. And we can start talking truth about what's happening in Alaska so that we can start shaping the hearts and minds of millions of Americans to actually support the people here 
in King Cove, understanding that, for example, there are already roads in the National Wildlife Refuge, right? So what are we actually affecting? And if we can get some real video, some real communication, some real honest truth out that can counteract the millions of dollars that these environmental groups are putting in to blocking King Cove Road because they're using it for fundraising, I think we could have a chance. Another thing we can do is a strategy that we use on the pipeline. So Senator Stevens was brilliant in this. When he got the pipeline passed, he put a clause in that is constitutional under Article 3 of our U.S. Constitution. We can block from jurisdiction any item we want from, court, from the courts in Congress. If you get the approval of Congress, you can say, you know what, U.S. courts, you don't have any jurisdiction over this. That's why we didn't have any litigation around the pipeline, and we got the pipeline built so quickly. So similarly, we had all the stars aligned recently with a Republican in the White House who supported the road, and we had Republicans in the House and Senate who supported the road. And if there had been a clause in the legislation that said this is not subject to litigation, we would not have been blocked by Judge Gleason, who was confirmed by Senator Murkowski. So every step of the way, we've been blocked by nominees and judges, and we've been funded by environmental groups that Lisa Murkowski has put in place. We need to stop that. We need to get nominees in place who support this road, judges in place who won't legislate from the bench, or just take out of the litigation realm the, any question about this road, just like we did for the pipeline. Those are some ideas to pursue. But again, this isn't something that one senator can do. This is a lot of bargaining, negotiating work that has to happen. But the real issue is, though, is someone going to be committed to advocating for this and not being compromised you know, by what goes into their back pocket? or who they're going to have to swap out deals for and who they confirm. We need to be zealous for the people of Alaska. Very good. So, yeah, it's a tough battle, but that's, uh, hopefully we'll be able to see some good progress on that down the road here soon. Uh, moving forward, just talking about other things, the you know out here in the bush, as you're seeing in the rural communities, things like uh, government services for health care, and, you know, so much energy assistance, things like that are critical for the people in our region. And it's, you know, those are government payouts. Those are government programs that really make a big difference in this area. And I just want to get your thoughts on those kinds of services and how you would act as a senator in regards to funding things for rural communities like us that really depend a lot on support uh, from outside our region and the government. Yeah, that's absolutely essential. So it's really clear when you're in rural communities that we depend on the economies and the life of rural communities, not just Alaska, America. America depends on what the fishermen in these communities are producing. And we need to honor that and create the infrastructure, create the, the health clinics, the mental health, behavioral health, and a, a substance abuse treatment facilities that can actually take care of these communities. And so right now we do have government assistance. I think that there's more. I think we need more, for example, in terms of basic infrastructure. We're talking about a road. We need to talk about the marine highway system. We need to talk about rural broadband just so that we have the same sort of access to telemedicine, teleeducation, commerce that you can have in places that have easy access to the Internet. It levels the playing field for rural Alaska. I think we also need to talk about simple things like if we got more of rural Alaska up and running with infrastructure, rural broadband, mental and mental health and health facilities, then rural Alaska would actually be more profitable. There'd be even more commerce happening here. 
And I think it's a both and. If government gave a hand up, we could be less dependent on handouts that also come and go. And that's something that makes me apprehensive is when we're very dependent on bureaucrats in a beltway several thousand miles away who don't understand Alaska. One of the things I saw when I worked in state government is we rounded a fiscal year and then all of a sudden the federal fund would be cut off with no reason given. And when we have our rural communities completely dependent on those federal funds, it makes us vulnerable. And I would prefer for us to have the infrastructure built, for example, those hands up that we need so that we can be self-sufficient and not completely dependent in a place that makes us vulnerable. But until we have that stuff in place, Austin, I think you're right. We have to honor the fact that these rural communities play a vital part of our American economy, and we need them to be sustained. What are the other priorities that you have? I know that for Alaska, you know, we're so dependent upon the oil industry and other energies, and we can kind of see I think that, the, you know, the writing's on the wall in a lot of sense that things are shifting towards renewable energies and other energy sources other than fossil fuels. But obviously, that's going to be decades down the line. What are your priorities in terms of the energy sector? And what would you do as a state senator to kind of advance Alaska, but also, I think, protect Alaska? Because we can't depend upon oil forever. It's going to go away. And what would you like to see happen to, you know, keep the navigate the waters where we're still energy dependent, but then prepare us to get away from this industry down the line? You know, it's a great question. So you morphed two questions there, but but we'll talk about the first part. The, the common sense platform I have runs through five things that I think unite all Alaskans, but the main thing is the one you're focusing on, which is jobs, jobs, jobs. And you're absolutely right that we are a resource state. We've got more resource in this state than any state in the nation. And we are seeing a shift in what the government, again, if the government allows it, then the government can take it away. And so just one year ago, we were energy sufficient as a nation, and we were on the cusp of an energy boom. You switch presidents, and then all of our energy projects have been locked down. And we're struggling as a state, and we have major companies and families and businesses leaving for the lower 48. And that's one of the challenges that we're facing with, like, the rise and fall of politics in Washington, D.C. We need to advocate for our energy industry. So a simple answer is what we're being shut down on is only inside the executive branch. We have acts of Congress that say open up these areas, whether it's from the Anwar or it's down in the Tongass. We have the, a federal court that says open up Anwar. This is almost close to an act of God when you have government aligning like that. The only person shutting it down at this point is Deb Holland. And again, Lisa Murkowski was the deciding vote to push her through with her energy annihilating background and record. That's what's killing Alaska. But here are some things that we also can do. There are rules within the federal government about how long they can take in pushing through their permits. And they're regularly going through those rules. And that comes at a cost, a very steep cost to our energy companies. And so we can start enforcing some of those rules. We've gone through this EIS review process in our various energy projects multiple times. At some point, you got to use the internal policies that you have in the executive branch. This was what my background is in to start showing a pattern and practice of discrimination against the state of Alaska in using these EIS reviews to just delay projects, which you're not allowed to do. And so you can use that as a senator. You know, you don't have to call hearings. You don't have to pass legislation. You can just use the weight of a senator to start leveraging the executive branch rules against itself to start enforcing executive branch rules. 
Another thing I'd like to see is us develop a workforce pipeline, the next pipeline that needs to be built in Alaska, where we give our high schoolers hope for a future in real jobs in real Alaska. We have disadvantages in our federal rules against our trade schools in Alaska, where we have to pay full price. The students have to pay full price. They don't get some of the benefits through our Department of Education that our university system does. But most of our jobs that are trying to hire in our energy industry are trade-related jobs. So we're not producing our children to take jobs in Alaska that are actually high-paying, where they can stay with their family in their communities, to work where they love and live where their family is. And I'd like to see that. That would, I think, help with our, our mental health in Alaska. It would help with our economy if we're actually home-growing our own subject matter experts here. But then, Austin, you hit on it. We can't just be solely dependent on our resource industry. We need to bring in new lines of industry in here. And I think, you know, there's several ideas on this, but the main one is we've got to leverage our geopolitical location on the globe. There's not a state in the United States that has our location and proximity to the rest of the world. So we've got proximity to Russia, China, Indonesia, North Korea, so many of our foreign national threats. And that is a prime location for greater investment from the intelligence community, the Department of Defense, space technology, and private investors who care about those things. And we have got a lot of places down here in the Aleutians. You guys know this well because you've been a center for that. And a lot of places even up in the interior, even up on the North Slope area, where we are ready to build out the investment for those uh, technologies, which I think opens us up for a whole new um, level of population and jobs that we haven't even begun to touch. So a, another big topic that you're hitting all over, and this is the idea that, you know, Alaska has an idea of what Alaska wants to do, right? I think that the majority of Alaskans are supportive of the energy sector. Of course, there are some people who aren't, but majority of people are supportive of development, I think, in the Anwar region and, uh, you know, the especially the 1002 section and other things such as that. Or uh, over here recently, we have the Unga mine that's being active and, you know, they're starting to find some good resources there. But the question, of course, would be permitting. Um, what do you think can be done to kind of allow Alaska a bit more of a say in how it wants to navigate its own resources and its own industry? Because we do have so many things that come in from the national and the federal level that mitigate our ability to do just that. Do you think, what would you do as a senator to function within that capacity and play a role in that uh, kind of decision making? So I think that there's a couple ways Alaska gets more of a voice in what happens in Alaska, but it really comes down to changing hearts and minds. So think of it like this. Um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez has significant amount of power in the House of Representatives because she wields a selfie stick. And I know that that seems like it's simplifying it, but because she has so much effective communication to so many other Americans, they then contact their representatives and their senators and get on board with AOC's agenda. We can't underestimate the value of how Americans talk and communicate and move these days. We've got to communicate in the way America communicates. The, one of the lessons I learned from Senator Ted Stevens, I said, Senator, how do you get so much approval for Alaska projects? I mean, we all remember the days of Senator Stevens when we had, just like you're talking about, Things were greenlit. We were rolling in it. Our projects were, were getting done. 
And he told me that, you know, when you become senator, you get a large budget for your Senate office and you can put it into your drapes or your motorcade or your policy wonks for your office. You get the idea. He chose to set aside large sums of money to bring up other senators on a rotating basis on, quote, fishing trips, salmon fishing trips. So he'd hook them with a fishing trip. And he said, but as soon as they get up there, Kelly, I'll put them in a bush plane and I'll take them out to rural Alaska villages. So they can see what it's like. So they can see King Cove Road, for example. So they can see what we're actually dealing with. And he said, you know how quickly they will jump on board with putting an exception for Alaska in a bill or getting me what I want in a bill because they've seen it for themselves. Like I said, it's one thing to understand policy. It's another thing when you make it personal. I learned that from Senator Stevens. That's what we need to do is we need to make our stories personal because we understand it. We live here. But we're only a couple hundred thousand people. When we make us a couple million people or tens of millions of people who are contacting their senators, their legislators, or we get those senators up here ourselves, that's when we start, quote, making the decisions, if you will, about what happens here. I agree with everything you're saying. Alaskans know best what to do with our land and our resources. I have never met a bureaucrat in the Beltway in D.C. who cares more about Alaska land than we Alaskans do. We all know that. The way that we tell that story and the way that we're effective in it is to actually show it and communicate it. We've got to move the hearts and minds of America. So I know your time's, uh, you know, stretched thin, I'm sure. you got a lot of things to do out there, and hopefully you can make it over to this neck of the woods before that big storm comes in. But is there any... I think we're both hoping that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good luck. I hope you do, or else you'll get to see, yeah, a a huge taste of what the Aleutian region is like. Um, Is there any other priorities? I know that for so many people, you know, there's there's a little, um, you know, niches that they go after, you know, whether it's the energy sector or the... Um, military and things like that. Is there any niche that you have, maybe the Second Amendment or something along those lines that you would like to advocate for that you'd like to talk to people about? So the other things I'm focusing on, because I think we've got we've to realize what brings us together as Alaskans, my heart's to rebuild this state. I think that's everybody's heart right now. So reviving the economy through the jobs, which is what we've spent a lot of time talking about, The second priority is reclaiming our rights. And under that umbrella, I put our constitutional rights, our Second Amendment rights are under direct attack right now. And we need to make sure we hold on to those. I mean, there's a bill speeding through Congress at this time. It's in the Senate. Please contact your senators, all of the senators. They are going to take away the guns from current active military personnel and retirees just by a judge on their own saying, you know what, I think this person is dangerous. There's no due process to our military members. That's completely unconstitutional, but it's not seeming to slow this bill down, and that's so wrong. We depend on our Second Amendment rights up here in America, in Alaska, and we totally support our military members. So our constitutional rights, but then I put in there our rights to access our land. That's a Tenth Amendment right, but we don't have access to land that we were promised before statehood. And if we can't access and responsibly develop our land, then we can't really live here, make a living here, and stay here I think we all see that there is an agenda to turn Alaska into a national park where it's only some place you can come visit, but you can't really stay or work or raise kids here. And I don't want that. I want my kids to be able to stay here and not have to leave. And I think that's what we all want in our hearts. We don't want our grandchildren growing up on social media in the lower 48 while we watch our state be progressively shut down. And so we've got to make that a priority. 
A third thing I'd say is we've got to emphasize health care and reform it. It's not working. Our current system does not work for Alaska. It's not working for our vulnerable, our providers, our businesses, or our vets. That's a massive priority for me. And getting out to communities like here in the Aleutians, it's really important to see what you need, what you're facing, what you're struggling with, and how I can help. We also need to require equal, legal, and safe immigration. And we need to talk about voting rights as a major civil rights issue. We want to make sure everybody has access, and we need to make sure that there's election integrity in our system so we have confidence in our government. Those are all common-sense priorities, I think, for all of Alaska. I think we're tired of a divided states of America rhetoric. We keep hearing from the lower 48 that can just stay down there. I remember the Alaska I grew up in is Alaska that's still here. We're really united in our diversity. I think we're all different. None of us are the same. We're kind of like huskies that way. But we love each other, and we're united in that diversity, and it's just common sense that's going to bring us forward at this point. Well, we appreciate your time coming on the air, Kelly. And uh, any final thoughts before you'd like to go? Well, I'm looking forward to seeing all of you, but for those I don't get to actually meet in person, please check me out online and come join our team. And the website is kelly4ak.com. It's K-E-L-L-Y. F-O-R-A-K dot com. I'd love to see you there and get to know you, even if it's just through virtual contact. So thanks so much, Austin. It's been great talking with you. Absolutely. And feel free to reach out as we get closer to the big election day next year and uh, get on the air again as we get closer to that time. Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Have a great day. Stay safe out there. Bye. Thanks. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) All right. That's Kelly Shabaka. She was the commissioner for... Governor Mike Donlevy for the Department of Administration and, uh, as you heard, spent quite a bit of time working in the federal government as well, working with Ted Stevens, so not unfamiliar by any stretch of the imagination with Alaska. And she's running for Senate against Lisa Murkowski, the seat currently held by Lisa Murkowski. So that election comes up in 2022, a little ways off. You do have the election coming up here in November as well, but it's not going to be this one that she's running in. It's a year out from now. But great to have her on the air. We'll have Lisa Murkowski and other candidates who are running for this seat on the air as well, so you can hear their thoughts. 